I'm your host, Samaita Graver, and I want to welcome you to Truth, Salt, and Spice, the podcast where you will find conversations steeped in biblical truths, sprinkled with salt, and a dash of spice thrown in, you know, for good measure. Hello, friend. Well, hello. How are you? I'm doing well. And you? I'm good. I realized late last night that my voice is kind of gone um, from a weekend of a lot of laughing and screaming. So (laughs) we have to make do with this. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad you actually mentioned it because I was going to ask you, what were you up to? Oh, yeah. I wasn't there. And (laughs) I was kind of feeling like I remember hanging out with you in circumstances similar to those pictures I saw. And I was, you know, a little like, you know, jealous. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we definitely need to make one happen with you for sure. But um, um, yeah, I well, I co-run a women's ministry with my best friend called Dauntless Grace, and we had kind of a mini retreat with some local girls at the Lake of the Ozarks this past weekend, where we just talked about the Enneagram and what God is doing in our lives. And we played games and laughed a lot and sat in a hot tub and ate really good food. And it was just really refreshing to get away for a few days. Mm, Sounds wonderful. Mm. I'm glad you had a great time because, you know, I'm always happy when people are happy. (laughs) Even if I'm not there, not included. Um, I, uh, I, I generally do get happy when people that's awesome. Are doing their thing and they're, you know, having a good time because I love having a good time. <laughs> yeah, I just wish that good time hadn't come at the expense of my voice. <laughs> it's okay. You sound you sound good. You sound good. Uh, all right, all right. You don't you don't sound like a ninety year old smoker. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. I want you to just go ahead and introduce yourself, and I just tell my guests so they can say as little or as much they want people to know about them, okay. in their current lives anyway, because obviously we're going to be talking about some stuff, Yeah. But um, and then we'll just continue from there. Sounds good. Um, yeah, are we ready then? Or I'm going to yeah, talk? Yeah, All go right. ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I Okay, so I am a teacher by trade. I always kind of start with that because I taught in high school and middle school for like 10 years. And now I work in higher education at my alma mater, which is nice. Um, I also, in my kind of spare time, do that in the ministry, Dauntless Grace um, for women and some Enneagram coaching. I'm a certified Enneagram coach. And I, I mean, just random things. I've written a book and... I have two girls. My husband and I have been married for almost 16 years, and I live in the St. Louis area. So it's kind of it in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so, so are you after any more degrees, or do you think you're done? Because I know I think you're one of these like lifetime serial degree study person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I have one degree, a master's degree in education, and I started a master's degree in business management. Um, and I didn't get very far before I was like, okay, I, I don't really have the time right now. I would like to keep going just to get some more graduate level courses so I can teach like at the college level in more areas. Um, I, mm-hmm. I've looked in some doctoral prog- programs too, but honestly, I just don't want to pay for one. Otherwise, I mean, otherwise <laughs> I would completely do it. So <laughs> I can't blame you. <laughs> I can't blame you with so many people complaining about 
like drowning in debt, oh, yeah. for, you know, because of school debt. I, I, I get that. That could be a wise choice for you. <laughs> um, so why don't you go ahead and tell us about the book you wrote? I would love to, but it's been so many years that if you ask me these specific plot points, I may not be able to answer those. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not one of these people that their books are like they're, you know, little children and they just, you know, know everything about I them. mean, at one point I probably did. It's just been a while since I've read it again. Yeah. Um, sometime when I was teaching middle school back in, I want to say like 2015 or 2016, um, I had a middle school classroom with like seventh and eighth graders and we were doing writer, writer's workshop. And one of my seventh grade girls was like, I'm going to write a novel. And so every day when we had our 30 minutes or 40 minutes of writing, she would just like plug away like chapter one, chapter two. And I was like, I, I want to do that. If you're, I mean, I can do that. <laughs> So I would sit there and just, I had no plot in mind. I had nothing in mind. I just started with chapter one and started writing and it started to turn into something. And I was like, oh, like maybe I could actually finish this. And then um, it took me about two months to write. And I gave it to a few people who were like, you need to figure out if, you know, get this published. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I just kind of Googled, like, how do you get a book published? And I started querying some agents and um, a small publishing, a Christian publishing company picked it up and they published it for me. I think it released, oh gosh, I want to say April of 2017, maybe. Um, and it's a, you know, a young adolescent novel for um, probably high school students more than anything. Although I did finally let my seventh grade daughter read it because it's about a 16 year old girl with um, an addiction to self-injury. And how God kind of brings her through that journey. So. Now you said self-injury. That's the first time I've he heard it mm. called by that. Is that your preference or is it just depending on the it person? It depends on the person. I mean, I always called it okay. cutting, but self-injury yeah. can encompass a lot of different behaviors. In the book, it's specifically cutting, but self-harm, self-injury are probably more like clinical terms for that. So, so um Let's say, because I have listeners of all ages, mm -hmm. if, um, if you are a young adult or teenager, why would you recommend reading this book? I think that gets a little tricky sometimes. I, like I said, I just handed it to my 12-year-old about a month ago. And, and I mm -hmm. first, I, I said, I want to have a conversation first. Have you ever heard of this? Have you ever heard of cutting? And she said, I have. I said, do do any of your friends do this? And she said, no. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to let you read this if you want. Um, after we read it, though, I want to have a follow-up conversation with you. And I, like knowing the book, I mean, so if you've, you know, I wrote it obviously, but any parents who have read it, um, you would see that there's just a lot of redemption that comes from it, a lot of healing that comes, you know, from the Lord in this journey for this character. And so um, it's not like it just leaves a reader feeling hopeless. It feels like whatever struggle it is that I'm going through, there's hope on the other side. And there's ways, you know, to, to kind of get through it, even when it feels like it's never going to end. And so I do think there's such a redemption there that it's good for teens to read. I think parents and youth leaders should read it because this mm -hmm. seems to be like an, it's a little bit of an unknown topic. I mean, I think it's more prevalently known today than maybe, you know, back when I was in high school, 20, five years ago or whatever, um, there's more awareness now, but I still think there's a lot of adults who are at a loss to know how to handle, Hey, this kid in my youth group or my daughter or my daughter's best friend or whatever is struggling with this. What are the right things to say and the wrong things to say? And what does this mean? And, 
Um, I think that there is some truth in the book that, you know, adults mm-hmm. can kind of learn from. Um, I do think there's a little bit of a risk, though, if there's a, you know, if there's a teen who either has struggled with it or maybe is susceptible to that, that I think that's why it's important that the adults in their lives maybe have a, a, a grasp on the book as well to keep the conversations open so that it doesn't become triggering for them. Mm. I, I haven't heard that okay. story um, that anyone's read it and been like, oh, I want to try it. But you never know. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I, I understand that for sure. Um, so then it, let's dig a little mm-hmm. bit deeper into parents or adults and, and youth groups. Like, how would you recommend that they read it together? Like, do it as kind of like, let's read chapters, whatever, through whatever, and let's talk about what happens or... Um, you know, how do you, how would you recommend, um, cause I know you work with teen, with girls, young mm-hmm. girls as well in your ministry. So how would you recommend, um, opening that door to have this discussion or did you just say, here's a book and I'm here if you want to discuss it? Um, probably a balance between the two. Like the English teacher in okay. me thinks that reading chapter by chapter with a group discussion is, sounds awful and it kills literature. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I do know, um, a group of seventh or eighth graders. Um, I have a close friend who's a teacher of middle school and she talked to the parents. She read the book first. She talked to parents, had girls sign up and they met, um, in the summer and had kind of a virtual book club. Um, and then we, and Mm -hmm. then they had like this final meeting where they all got together and I got to come and they asked me questions, which was kind of neat. And so what they did was just as a group, they would read like the first like third of the book and then they'd talk about it. And then the Mm -hmm. next third. So kind of not as like school wise, but just like, let's process where we are right now. And what are you thinking? And, you know, just a little bit more in depth like that. And then it was cool to go in and let them just kind of interview me as the author. It was super special, but um, I, as a parent, I didn't do that. I just had kind of a very quick pre-conversation, handed it to her and said, let's talk about it after, you know, whatever questions you might have. So uh, I think for adults, you know, if they know someone's struggling with it, I definitely think it can open the door to conversation like, hey, I just read this book. You know, I thought of you. Do you want to read it? You know, I'm here to talk about it kind of a thing. Gotcha. That's great. So the reason why you're, you know, one of the reasons I've uh, been hounding you for a long time to come on the podcast is to talk about um, self-harm cutting and um, because you have experience, mm-hmm. um, experience that in your life. And so I want to start, you know, from the very beginning. Um, I, I want to know if it was something specific that triggered it, um, curiosity, uh, if, because um, I know I've heard that it there's, Mm-hmm. pain attached to it and so was it perceived or real like you know is something that's going on in your life at home outside you know digging into all those things and and you know how you progress yeah um so it's really interesting and, th- and this is the reason why sometimes I, I want to make sure parents read my book before their kids do it's because when I was mm-hmm. I oh God, I was 15 or 16 and I saw it was actually an episode of seventh heaven I don't know if you remember that terrible mm-hmm. show yeah, I do. Um, and mm-hmm. one of the, like, Lucy's friend was struggled with cutting, and they had a whole episode about it, and I had never heard of it before. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that's like. And <laughs> so seriously, it was just curiosity that was the first time I tried it. Like, why would someone do that to themselves? Let me see what it's like. And it's not like, you know, a drug where as soon as you do it, you're like, I'm going to do that again. But it was like, and it introduced me to 
maybe an outlet I hadn't ever considered before. And so that was just kind of a time in my life when my parents were going through some struggles um, just with their marriage and friends was, you know, it was hard to know who was my friend, who was my best friend, what is this going to look like, trying to press in closer to God, but also dealing with the struggles of just being a high school student. And I also know now that I'm an Enneagram 4, so there was just all the emotions all the time. I didn't know how to deal with them, and so they would just kind of settle on me like a fog, and it made me feel really numb. And I realized early on that cutting was a way to help me kind of experience that without it feeling like a physical pain that could kind of replace the emotional pain. I'm processing <laughs> here because I want I want you to I want you to say that again because so I can so I can understand because I'm learning as we go here too. So yeah, talk about the emotional pain you were feeling and that transfer. Can you be more yeah. specific? Yeah, so there like, was what? it was just a lot of emotion yeah. and you know fours mm-hmm. we tend to have all of them the good and the bad all at once all the time. And if we're not aware mm-hmm. of our emotions and what triggers them and how to process through them, they can become like a, a big weighted blanket on top of us that numbs us out. And, and I, sometimes it's hard to know what emotion to deal with and to process through. And I didn't have any tools for that when I was 16. And so it, it numbed me and I, it, it actually became more like I couldn't feel any of my emotions anymore because there were too many. And so I found out that cutting and transferring what I was feeling into a physical pain, like that was something that I could point to and go, that hurts and here's the reason why. But I couldn't do that with my emotions. And so it became kind of a substitute. It was a way for me to go, look, I'm still alive. I'm not actually numb. I'm a a human experiencing something. It just happens to be in the form of physical pain or blood or whatever that was that made me feel connected back to myself. Gotcha. So once this becomes a habit, Mm -hmm. What does that do to you as a person, as a human? Though, like any addiction, there really is um, like an endorphin release that comes with it. So it, there's actually okay. kind of a chemical thing that happens once you start doing that, you know, whether it's drugs or sugar or alcohol or exercise, there's, it, it messes with the chemicals yeah. in your body. And so there's an endorphin release that comes along with it that makes it harder to not want to do that the next time. Um, that you come up against that place of pain again to go, okay, this is how I know to get out of it right now. But eventually, you know, especially as a Christian teen, there was this really big shame attached to it. Like I, I knew this wasn't Mm -hmm. the right way to cope, but now I'm too far into it. And also I kind of want help, but I'm afraid if I tell anybody they're going to, well, I mean, we had no awareness of, you know, this was in the nineties. We had no awareness of this. Were they going to send me to an, you know, a psychiatric ward? Was I going to get sent to a, a inpatient center somewhere? I, I didn't know what it was going to do. And so I was terrified for anyone to find yeah. out because there was just so much shame attached and the fear of the unknown, what happens if people learn about it. So I imagine like with any drug, then because you're harming yourself, mm-hmm. there are scars. Did you start then hiding them in your yeah. clothing? Like, did you dress differently? Uh, I don't know differently necessarily. I think I always, it, well, it started okay. in the winter, so I guess that was easier. But, and I, it was just focused on like one arm basically at that point. Um, I, I do have a memory of a mm-hmm. teacher. I was walking out of her classroom and she kind of grabbed my arm just to say something. And I yanked and pulled it back and my sleeve went up and she was like, what happened? And I said, oh, my, my cat. You know, 
And so my mom mm. was a teacher at the same school. And so the, the teacher actually told my mom. And so my mom was like, let me see. And I remember showing her and I was like, oh, it's the cat. And she didn't really question it, which is a little bit funny because I think our cat was declawed. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> But there, like, no one knew, no one knew of this. You know, it was just such a new thing. It just yeah. went across yeah. anybody's mind that this was an, an intentional thing. So it just kind of, you know, just moved on. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! So did any of your? Did you ever say anything to your no, friend? No, no. I eventually told a youth leader yeah. um, later, and she kind of prayed with me and then would ask me, oh, you know, regularly, like, have, you know, have you done this? And I, at that time, there was just enough accountability. I trusted her enough that I did stop for a long time. So, um, yeah. So I would say, you know, that stopping, I, you know, the, the accountability there and just, she, she made sure I didn't feel ashamed to admit to her or whatever. And so that was really helpful for me. Um, but that was not the last time it happened. So I would say over the next lots of years, there were seasons where I would kind of fall back into that. And then there would be people that I would trust and I would tell and they would keep me accountable and then I would stop again. And eventually I realized I'm not actually fixing the problem. I, I'm just relying on other people to kind of help me not do the action. So, but whatever's causing the drive was not being healed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like the difference between um, sobriety right. and being clean. Because um, you could still, you could not be using or drinking, but you could still behave in a way that it's exactly so. As well. Instead of um, needing to cut, mm-hmm. I needed the people as they they were replacing that. So they were the ones showing me that um, helping, it, not even helping me process pain necessarily, but they were replacing whatever that longing was that cutting was driving me to. And so it was just like transferring it. So it's not that they weren't helpful or pointing me back to God, but I, it never really was helping me deal with the actual root of what was driving me to that place. Well, um, can we talk about that? Like, how did you discover eventually mm-hmm. the root? And then, I mean, you know, obviously you had all these feelings, right. which is what started it. But what was, what were these feelings? What was that emptiness um, that you had? that you finally were able to pinpoint and then work on um, your recovery. I don't know how to talk about this without talking about the Enneagram, but it's funny because I didn't know <laughs> because it all <laughs> makes so much sense to me now. And if I'd had the Enneagram language at 16, at 20, at 25, whatever, I like, I could have gotten to this place so much more quickly. I think there would have been such um, a shame lifted to know that, Oh, this is just kind of how all fours feel. Not that they all, you know, struggle with cutting or anything, but the, the emotion, the longings, the emptiness, like we all kind of resonate with that. And if I had known that, I think it would have lifted a lot of the shame and it would have gotten me to that place, um, of those deep longings more quickly. But basically I, um, through some like kind of personal counseling stuff, I realized that at the bottom of who I am, I felt really deficient uh, that there was a piece missing, which now, of course, that I know the Enneagram, I'm like, oh, every four feels that way. Um, but that was the language I found was like deficient. And so I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know how to, this deep longing to be known and to be understood. I didn't know how to get that met through my friends or my youth leaders or even my family when I was 16. And so that caused a lot of pain. It caused a lot of shame. Um, there was fear of being too vulnerable sometimes because what if they misunderstand who I am and they don't really get to know me? And what if I don't know who I am to be able to communicate that? 
And I think there was a lot of like identity searching going on. And I went to church and I went to youth group. So it was like, oh, your identity's in Christ. Well, that's great. But what does that mean for me? Like I, I, I'm a four, I want to be unique and an individual. So how can I just have the same identity as every other Christian? (laughs) So, so again, Mm. I didn't have that language for it, but I can just see how that was kind of what was driving me. And it wasn't until I started learning, like at the root of who I am, I feel deficient. There's a piece missing. I feel incomplete. And then it just goes from there. So what am I actually longing for? And again, if I'd had the Enneagram language, my goodness, I could have gotten there faster. But it really became this place where as, as I identified like how I saw myself and what I thought I needed um, to fill those you know, fears and longings that were within me, um, the more I was aware of that, the more I could go, okay, so I don't have to, as a Christian, all of this should be met by the Lord. Like he is enough to fill me. And I don't need to repent of the fact that I feel deficient but I need to repent of the fact that instead of finding what needs to fill me through God, I'm going out and I'm finding it through either cutting or, you know, other behaviors that manifested later or through people and all of those places where I was trying to extract life to fill those longings. That's where I messed up. That's, that's where my sin came in. And it really, it wasn't until I could go, okay, God, you're the only one who can really fill these deep places. And then, and then he does. And it's just such a beautiful story. And my life is, you know, just so different than it was 20, 25 years ago, or even 10, five years ago, because of those, the ways that God can come in and meet those deep places. Would you say that there was an amount of shame even on just being such a deep feeler? Yeah, I think so. I was the one with my friends who'd want to sit around and have the deep conversations and some people just couldn't ever go there. And so I was just too much for them. And I felt that I'm too much for them. But then I'd be in a social setting and be like, I have no idea what these people are talking about. They all seem to know how to act. They know how to, you know, they, they, even the fact that like, as soon as they got their licenses and they'd go off and drive and I was terrified of like stoplights. And luckily my town only had one, so I didn't have to figure it out, but I wouldn't drive in the city and I wouldn't, there are things that I was like, I just don't get it. And so I always felt not enough. And hey, come back to that Enneagram four, I was always too much. And I was always not enough. And so I did felt like I was never really belonged in those ways with everybody, which I'm sure also drove, you know, some of those fears and those, those big longings too. You know, I'm, I'm really big on saying that, you know, when I look back at my parents, or other people's parents, you know, this uh, little phrase of, um, people generally do mm-hmm. as best as they can with who they are. Now, I'm not making excuses for folks. I'm just stating that this is reality. Like you right. give from what you have kind of thing. So would you say, uh, I'm careful because I don't like going around bad mouthing folks, you know, parents and stuff and or spouses and all that kind of thing, especially since I don't know them and I just, I'm not yeah. that, you know, <laughs> that thing. But would you, would you say that, you know, and looking back and I asked this question just on behalf of even maybe parents that may be listening. Um, do you think there was anything that your parents could have done differently to prevent that or help you get out of it? Faster? I think that's a tricky question. I think yes and no. I think, I think the no yeah. comes into play in okay. that. I believe that we are born with the lens that we see life through. And as a four, no matter what my parents would have said, Mm -hmm. they could have done everything perfectly right. And I still would have felt misunderstood and incomplete. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just the lens that I had. Um, Do I think there were some other, you know, factors at play that 
that could have been done better? Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm a parent. There's, I, there's no way I'm doing it right all the time, you know? So, so my answer is yeah, yes yeah. and no. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much, yes, there could have been things done better. I don't know how much of a difference it would have necessarily made with me at that time in my life. Yeah. Gotcha. No, I was curious because I know there's some instances in my parents that they did or whatever that I'm like, oh yeah, that would have definitely mm-hmm. done something different. You know, they were huge. Uh, but just in general parenting stuff, I'm very mm-hmm. like whatever about it because I mean, I have this running joke, but I'm like 90 actually I'm like 100% serious I'm like I can't be perfect because if I'm mm, perfect yeah. I need Jesus later <laughs> <laughs> so I'm fine with being an imperfect parent and you guys looking back and being like oh my gosh what in the world and I'm like I'm now. You <laughs> right like I'm starting my kids because <laughs> I did my best therapy fund now so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I won't pay for college but I'll pay for your therapy <laughs> So, you know, there is that part of, yes, we're not going to be perfect parents. And again, I do believe that generally, you know, we do the best with who we are until we know better. And then, you know, we choose not to. That's a whole different story. But um, I wasn't sure if there was some specific incidences that it's just like, not only did they not help, it contributed or whatnot, because I don't know your your background there um, for sure. And so... um, so you're a teenager, you got some help from some youth, and then as adults, um, what would you say, was there a moment in which you realized, or how did, let me ask this, how did you realize that what you were doing was due to this emptiness, and then you started to pursue Well, uh, the behavior itself, like cutting that had stopped a long time before um, I I found like this place of healing. Yeah, yeah. But I I knew that just because the behavior was Mm -hmm. gone, like I said, it didn't erase. Like I was I was mature enough to go. This is not a healthy behavior. I'm going to stop this, and I was able to. But that didn't fix what was driving me to want to do it in the first place. And so um, there was just some things I was teaching. Mm -hmm. I was actually an adult. I was teaching in a Christian school at the time, and. one of the ladies that I worked with who is now my best friend, but I didn't know her very well then she, uh, I knew that she had some counseling tools in her pocket, um, just from different ministry areas she held at her church. And I was just feeling super, I was a new mom, um, teaching in this new place. And I felt really empty. And I just asked her one day, like, would you walk me through some of this counseling stuff just in my planning period? And so that was the day Um, We sat down for that 45 minutes in the teacher's lounge and we got to that word deficient. And that's kind of what started this whole journey of going, that's how I feel. Now, what do I do with it? And it was, um, it probably took a couple of years after that. That was back in like, I don't know, 2010, 2011. It probably took a couple of years after that to really get to this image of how I saw myself. And when I could land on that, which in my case, I had this image of myself as this toddler, um, who was kind of fun, kind of cute sometimes, you know, like toddlers are, you know, cute to have around, but they, they need a lot of help. They are needy. They're clingy. Um, they get messy. They don't know what's going on. They can be loud and a lot sometimes, but they're also just not enough for what you need them to do. And so again, this was before I knew the Enneagram. So it just makes me laugh now because I'm like, duh, Megan. Um, but that was that image that I had of myself. And so that was what I could go before the Lord and say, without you, this is who I am. I'm not enough. And I am too much in my emotions and my feelings and my 
neediness, but you are enough to make me the perfect amount. You are enough to fill those deep places. And so I am not like ashamed that I see myself this way, but what I am ashamed of is how I tried to make up for what I thought I needed to. I needed help. And so I would go cling to relationships or I didn't know how to deal with my longings. And so I turned to cutting or all of the behaviors where I was finding life outside of God. That's where I just had to come to this moment of repentance and say, I'm sorry, please give me a new image. How do you see me? And so that's, that was the moment I think where everything really fell into place. And I'm not saying it's not I mean, that was several years ago now at this point, and there's still a lot of days when I wake up and I feel overwhelmed by emotions or I feel like I'm, oh my gosh, I've never learned anything. And God just kind of gently lifts my head and says, no, but now your gaze is on me. And, and it is a different, it is a different Megan. It is a different life. You're now, you're walking down who I created you to be and not what you thought it looked like or was supposed to look like. And so it's just, I don't know, the Lord is so gentle and just peeling back those layers one by one. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I you were talking about you know these deficiencies. Like scriptures kept, kept coming to my mind of mm. you know when you are weak, I am strong, and um, and so I I definitely hear you um, of of knowing that. A lot of times when we, with whatever we're struggling, you know, in this case, we're talking specifically about yours. Um, and especially, you know, if you want to talk Enneagram, mm -hmm. I, I relate to eight, but to the eight, um, number eight. But I, I'm thinking of just how we end up having the tools or the truth in front of us a lot of times, if you grow up, you know, within the Christian world, if you don't, you know, later on, um, hopefully, you know, we get them and, and move on, but we still have the truth in front of us. And yet it takes us a long time sometimes to right. actually apply that truth and believe it. Um, because, um, you know, for you, that weakness brought shame. And it, for me to mm -hmm. feel weak, it feels vulnerable, like you know, dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. And so uh, it's interesting always to me, I find human behavior fascinating, how we take the same things that we go through, you know, when it comes to emotions or, or different things that happen to us that may be physically dangerous or emotionally dangerous and how we react to them is, is definitely fascinating because I, I'm not going to say I've never felt shame, but <laughs> I mean, I have to think hard. So shame right. is just not something that I struggle with. And, um, and so, you know, to hear you say this, and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I know I'm too much. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> I've known that. Um, but that comes with its own dangers and costs on the other side, because that, oh, well, is pride, and it's not right. good either. It doesn't produce, you know, fruits of the spirit. It's, so, um, it's, it's, whether, a, it's just a daily know, renewing of your mind. I mean, we learn that, you know, if, especially if you're raised in a church and you have to memorize Bible verses in Sunday school, there's that Romans, oh gosh, I'm going to mess it up. Is it Romans 12 too? And it's like, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed mm -hmm. by the renewing of your mind. Well, we can know that, that that's a thing, but mm -hmm. until you, like you said, until you actually apply it to your life and actually like a, like a, like a lotion or a salve almost where you have to actually like apply it to each situation where your mind needs to be removed, then it doesn't mean a whole lot. You have to do that work. 
And so there's, you know, every time I still in my life, especially in work situations or in family situations will come up to this place where I'm like, I can't do this. I'm not an, I'm too little for this. I'm not enough for this. And I have to, I go back to the verse in second Peter that says, um, you've been given everything you need through life for life and godliness through your knowledge of Jesus. I probably paraphrased that wrong, but it's like this thing where God's like, I've already given you everything you need. You are enough through me. You are capable through me. And so I can know that verse exists, but unless I'm applying it every time I come up against those feelings, then it's not doing anything. So that's the daily renewing. Yeah. I love that picture. Excuse me. Um, for sure. I, um, if I seem a little distracted, you're welcome. My thoughts are just like all over the place because um, we could go so many, so many different rabbit holes here to go through. Um, uh, so, do you have um, most of them? I feel I have just healed? a couple that are like I don't think anyone else would ever notice, but I can faintly see them. Yeah. No, so not anymore. Um, I'm actually, I, I don't have any tattoos. There. I was kind of, I wrestled with that a lot as a young adult, like is willfully mm-hmm. putting a needle and drawing blood on my arm, something that I should do. And I've actually come to such a place of healing that I kind of want a tattoo, a visible reminder. And I would get, um, I would put it kind of on that, on that place, like where it all started. And I want it, I want an anchor that says yeah. something about Hebrews six nineteen. Like we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. So that when my law, and that's actually the verse and the anchor is such a huge symbol in my book. And, and the book is called Catch Somewhere. And Catch Somewhere is actually a phrase from a Walt Whitman poem called A Noiseless Patient Spider. And I know that's all a little bit abstract, but as an English teacher, it makes sense. The poem is about someone looking to anchor their soul somewhere. And so that's the journey that this character goes through. Like what is strong enough to hold my, the longings of my soul? And so she eventually realizes that that's only God. And so that anchor, that verse is what I would like to kind of permanently ink on my body at some point, maybe when I turn 40. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I remember you and I Mm -hmm. talking about tattoos and how you were hesitant because you don't want to have a Yeah, I think I'm just feeling more confident about that Like there's no shame that comes when I talk about this anymore. There's no, I don't have a it's not even a draw for me. There were yeah. years after I stopped where it still would become a temptation once in a while that I never succumbed to, but it still would cross my mind and that just doesn't happen anymore. Gotcha. <laughs> oh, wonderful. So we've, we've actually talked a lot in this short amount of time. Um, what would you advise any parents out there walking through this with their child because I imagine this isn't just a female thing I don't know if guys do it, it yeah much, it's but not, I imagine um, it's, yeah, not it, it's definitely majority girls um but but yeah. it's not exclusively so um mm-hmm. you know I would just say learn about it um do research about it because it's actually not possibly as frightening or as intense as maybe they would think it is you know if Cutting used to be this thing, again, back in the 90s when it was all coming to light, like, oh my gosh, they must be suicidal. Well, most most cutters aren't. It's not about dying or they would do that, right? I mean, so it's more about a coping mechanism. And so if you kind yeah. of look at that and just go, okay, so my kid could be struggling with alcohol or they could be struggling with just too much sugar or too much internet or, you know, whatever that is. 
So let's just look at that and start looking at the mm-hmm. longings of it. So rather than freaking out because it looks like a dangerous behavior, let's look at it as, as this is a coping mechanism. So let's deal with the root issues rather than the behavior. And let's go to say and, and remove the so shame would you from rep- it. Like this, go ahead. No, go ahead. If a kid feels ashamed of this and like, oh, you did it again. So now you're going to get punished or, you know, like mm-hmm. that's, that's never going to help if there's like a punishment reward system attached to it. Cause that's just shame inducing. Yeah. Mm, because then if I fail, yeah, that, that makes sense. It would be a vicious cycle. So would you recommend um, going to like a, a, an actual institution to get help? Or would you recommend doing a counselor? I would always start with counseling. I think every teen should be in counseling, quite honestly. I think every adult should be in counseling. (laughs) I think that this, the stigma that used to be attached to that, I I think is fading. So I do think it's easier for people to be like, oh, I I need to see a counselor Mm -hmm. for whatever. I just think we all walk around so unaware of what our own longings are and how we go about trying to meet them, whether it's through a dangerous addiction or through serving too much in our church you know we all are covering something when we don't know about it so I think everybody should be in counseling quite honestly (laughs) (laughs) what do you think that Um, would have helped you early on or did you um I I still think especially any counselors that know the Enneagram. I know I keep beating a dead horse here and the Enneagram is no magical tool, but I think it gets us to the root of awareness faster. And then, um, you know, I obviously love the Enneagram because I coach it, but I pair the Enneagram with the transformational power of Jesus. And that's where true change can happen. So the Enneagram gets us to those root longings and then Jesus comes in and can be the one who heals those places. So I personally, if I, you know, at some point, probably my oldest daughter is going to get in counseling just because I think it's healthy. I would definitely want someone who was versed in the Enneagram as well. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I hear uh, I'm, I'm a little, um, little salty in Pennsylvania. Legally, a child at 14 oh, can wow. decide whether or not to go to counseling. And um, if they don't give permission, then nobody oh, can wow. or will treat them unless they're suicidal. And um, yeah, and right, I'm just like right. 14, they just started brushing their teeth on their own last year <laughs> and taking showers. And so you're going to tell me they're mature enough to know, oh goodness. you know, to take charge of their mental health. I'm like, I'm an adult and I'm here like, you know, going to counseling. <laughs> and I don't even know. I'm 46 years old. <laughs> I had a session with my counselor last week and he said something and I was just like, I started laughing because it had been a running joke Mm -hmm. um, that I had with my friends. And, um, and so I was just like, Mm -hmm. whatever about it, about this, you know, behavior that I'm talking about. And he says, well, that's (laughs) self-respect. And I was like, ouch. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) Well, how about we go there? Which is what you I need. I love my counselor. He's direct like I am. No beating around the bush. Yes. I'm like, you know, uh, it, he's a male. I love him. I really do. Like, I would recommend it to anybody. And he's like, don't take this the wrong way, but blah, blah, blah. And I said, don't worry. If you ever said anything that I'll let you know. It's like, yeah, I know you'll let me know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he, you know, he just says stuff. And he does always preface with, you know, I'm saying this just in case, I guess. But whatever he says, it's like, oh, I love your style. Don't worry about it. But he was just like, well, why aren't you respecting yourself? I'm like, oh, my. Okay, fine. 
<laughs> did you yeah. have to say that? But I didn't even think of it that way at all. And so to hear that truth, I'm here like, okay, fine. I don't have to go and find myself some self-respect in this area. And so I, I, I do agree that um, counseling yeah. is, you know, especially Try if you get a wonderful counselor. Yeah. And if you don't, don't give up. Go find yourself. They're out there. Yes, they're out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, going back to children here in Pennsylvania. So unless they're, you know, societal aid, they can choose. And I'm just like, listen, right. please. You still don't close the door when That's you leave crazy. or turn off the lights, but you're going to be able to. <laughs> it is insane. It's insane. So speaking of, you know, uh, mental health, but. Um, so, you know, I don't know what to tell parents when they live in a state that's it's they're called child mm. advocate states where the child has a lot more power than they should. Um, and so there are other states that are parent advocate sure. states. So you are in charge of your child until they're 18. Um, but yeah, so I, I agree with you, too. I hear a lot of people say that people mm. should have a counselor and they should have a um, spiritual director as well. Um, so uh, I have not had one of those. Right. Uh, spiritual direction makes me curious for sure. But um, yeah, that, that's a thing. Um, and, oh. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't talk about Enneagram um, here often because I think it offends the senses of some Christians. No, I don't apologize. I don't, um, you know, uh, and so I don't want, you know, people to, well, I guess it's not that I don't want to, like, I'd be like, oh, please. Well, please. I you know, know that it is what it is, but uh, yeah. Um, I will say and it's a are, wonderful tool. And I know I've there are people who are skeptical of, you know, anything like that, that if they're not entirely sure what it's used for. And I do think tools can be misused. Um, but I, yeah. you know, I got my certification through a Christian who uses it as a, a way to kind of, like I said, get awareness for gospel transformation. I mean, I think the Enneagram itself is not a transformational tool. It can be, you know, give practical steps for growth if you use it outside of the gospel. But Jesus is the only one who brings true transformation. So. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. no, absolutely. He is king, and that is that, yeah. and anything else is just a tool or not. And so I definitely um, try to be careful about that. But um, <laughs> so, what else? I think uh, we've covered pretty much. Can I everything. can I plug Unless some stuff like for your listeners? Something else you want to say? Is that okay? Is that a, is that acceptable? When oh we... yeah. Hmm. Well, I was going to, does it have to do with your DGM yes, thing? Because we're going to talk Go about, ahead. I was going to ask <laughs> questions before we start wrapping up. All right. So we can talk about that. So we wrap up with yes. two questions. Um, how are you being salt in your neck of the woods? Um, yeah. And now you can uh, go ahead so and talk about. It is. So Dauntless Grace is um, a ministry I know that's, for that's women. Your thing. Again, that my best friend uh, Deidre Mager and I do together. And we do um, online Enneagram and spiritual coaching. We do sometimes virtual small groups and conferences. We've done, you know, before COVID, actual in-person retreats and conferences. We've been doing some local retreats. And we have, I don't know when this episode is going to air, but we have a national retreat coming up in Colorado in November. Um, and you can check out all of those different tools and resources at dauntlessgrace.org. We also have a podcast that we have right now called the Dauntless Grace Exchange, um, also available on our website or through iTunes. And so I just think proclaiming the truth about who God is and how God sees us is transformational and kind of salty to some people. So maybe that's that's my answer, my short answer for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, and then you have, isn't the, Yeah, we have um, a ministry called Shine Girls, Movement. Part of the um, it's been a little stagnant just because of COVID, because what we used to, we did in the last several summers, what we've done is we have gone oh. into um, like more inner city types of areas and worked with um, underprivileged girls and done like dance camps for them, where we also introduced what it means to shine for Jesus while they're, you know, learning dance choreography and shining on stage and pairing that message together. So that's been a lot of fun. We just haven't been able to do that in over a year now because of the COVID restrictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I know you took that to Guatemala and you know, my, Guatemala yeah. has a piece of my heart, um, for sure. So, and so, um, <laughs> to wrap things up, then if you were a spice, um, okay. So I feel like I use the same four spices with every dish I make, and I didn't want to say onion powder because I didn't know how that would be taken. So, I am going to land. <laughs> oh, I don't like onion, but I love onion powder. I love so onion. I'm, I'm going to land on paprika <laughs> because ahead. I like oh. that it's a little subtle and okay. a little smoky and can bring out a lot of flavor without being overpowering. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh my gosh, I have all the jokes because of the smoky I'm a little part. Spicy. I'm like, mm-hmm. just a little bit. Yeah, little miss. Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. A little smoky with your little smoky eyes. And so, mm-hmm. yep. That oh, you just miss right. me. You that you miss being with me right. where I can hug you and cuddle you. <laughs> I know. I was just gonna say, people, if you knew, like Megan and I met online, and we've since met in person a couple times and whatnot. But the first time I met her, number one, oh, whatever. She's like fifty thousand feet tall. Yeah, you're just little. <laughs> I did not expect her. Well, I'm five three, so anything is tall. And five eight. Um, I'm not that tall. Yeah, and uh, but you are. Well, how tall are you? Five what? <laughs> Oh, you seem a lot taller anyway. Well, I just thought you were about my size. And then, uh, you know, she, she kind of seems kind of quiet and her pictures on Facebook are always, you know, just chill and whatnot. And then comes out this bubbly person and she's a hugger and she's touchy. And I'm just like talking about making up who you think people are online and then you meet them in person. Oh my gosh, it was great because I think a lot of people don't expect me to be kind of bubbly and I'm very touchy-feely, which is You are exactly who I thought you'd be, except except the affectionate part I just didn't know, you know. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, I'm always shocked when other people are actually affectionate. I like to remain an enigma. Way off, way off, way off. Uh, Because I'm a four. Yes, I know you do. (laughs) We have that running joke. (laughs) I always say Megan. Oh, which is funny because I think everybody, I actually won like most talkative or biggest loud mouth or something like that for my senior superlative in high school. So it's definitely that that is not what people would have said about me. Well, there's a lot right. of people who don't say about me when I was in high school, too. So, Absolutely. you know, we all grow and change in some way. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, my goodness. Well, friend, thank you so much for coming on and yeah. talking about such a sensitive and topic, but so important, um, especially I think now people um, – know more about it and more open about it and um so it comes it's on amazon it's also on barnes and noble your book? Um, it's called it catch Amazon's somewhere megan hall so 
yeah, it's it's on the Kindle version is really cheap right now too. So, all right, sounds good. Yeah, excellent. Well, thanks so much, and I will awesome. see you around. Thanks and hopefully, we'll meet in person sometime soon and do something. Bye.